Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, powered by Kasoon Carr. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by the amazing Gordon Chung. Gordon is the founder of Global Lawyers Connect, a global platform that makes navigating your law career paths far easier for lawyers across the world. He is a LinkedIn legal influencer, has passed the New York bar, and a future trainee solicitor at the global US law firm, Baker McKenzie, based in their London office. He has also published two book chapters by Springer and numerous articles in a range of peer-reviewed law journals in Europe and Asia. So, a very big welcome, Gordon. Well, thanks for having me, Rob. And I'm really excited to actually uh, to be on this podcast, to be honest. <laughs> Not as excited as we are to have you. But <laughs> before we go through all of that and all the amazing work you've done so early on in your career, we do have our icebreaker question on the Legally Speaking podcast, which you may be aware of, as I know you're a bit of a fan of suits. So, on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate the reality hit series Suits in terms of its reality on the scale of one to 10? Well, personally, I would probably say a solid uh, six or five, I think. Yeah. I was, I was wondering if you were going to go above five because I gave it five when I was recently on a podcast. So yeah, why do you give it a, a five slash six? What's your reason for that? Honestly, because uh, when you look at, you know, as a TV series, definitely it's going to be a little bit overdramatic, like compared to, you know, what it is supposed to be. But at least for example, for scenes like, like law firm interviews, they are doing it in a particular like, hotel room. Sometimes I heard that like from the American lawyers, like it holds some truth to that. And I do think that they try to make it look more wonderful, like as a profession that, you know, being a lawyer. So I do think that they kind of, yeah, I, I do think I find that there are some truths, but of course there are some parts that are really dramatic and things, but it also what makes it such a good show as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and look, there's so much we need to go through. So let's start at the beginning. Tell our listeners a bit about your family background and, and upbringing. Well, yeah, sure. Well, uh, basically I was born in Guangdong, China. Uh, it was Basically, uh, when I was like what, like five months old, I moved to Hong Kong with my family. So basically, based on my memory, I probably only remember the time when I was in Hong Kong. So I was raised there, and after that, I did my LB there as well. And basically, I think for my family background, like my parents are not really like legal professionals or partic- or even like professionals in general. My dad was actually a, a minibus driver back in Hong Kong. And yeah, I, I I just remember the times like, you know, they worked so hard to raise me. And I, I just feel like it's good for me to really do something with my career to give them a certain level of comfort with their lifestyle. And also, yeah, I feel that probably was one of the motivations for me to work harder in general for my life or for my legal career. Yeah, and that's truly admirable and really kind of you to say. And I'm sure your parents are exceptionally proud. But did you always want to go into the, the legal profession or were you considering other things? Well, to be very honest, uh, you know, under the current education system, it's kind of difficult to say that you really want to be a lawyer right after that A-levels or that public examination that you have in your country. I think in Hong Kong, it's similar to that of the UK that we did a public examination and then you were asked to choose a particular field that you're going to commit, you know, the rest of your life to, which is kind of a scary concept. And for me at that time, at least based on what I studied in high school, I felt like 
I wasn't specifically keen on those subjects I studied, but I was always the kind of person who would love to learn more about different kinds of things. And I think law is kind of an interesting subject because it correlates with so many different aspects of our life, like landlord or real estate, businesses, family, criminal. Uh, you know, it's just such an, you know, the versatility of law is just makes me a little bit like more interested in it. And I really want to pursue a career that can bring more possibilities to my life. So I would say based on that reason, I chose law as my option after I passed my public examination back in Hong Kong. Yeah, no, that's great. And so in terms of let's talk a bit more about your your route. Um, tell us more about your route to passing the New York bar. Because I know that's something you do a lot of commentary around and, 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 and that particular journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like basically for the New York bar exam, I think New York is such a good place to even like qualify or like to to have your legal career in general. Just when you look at New York as one of the most profitable legal markets by a quite a significant margin compared to other, you know, legal jurisdictions. And New York really welcomes foreigners to actually take the, the examination and qualify there. It's one of the few states that actually allow foreigners or even law graduates from other countries who are not a practitioner who could still actually sit for that examination and pass it. So when I first knew of this opportunity, it was probably back in when I was in my final year of law school or third year of law school. I was just intrigued by the idea that I could literally practice law or like be a practitioner in New York State, even though I never have the opportunity or the financial means to study there. So I just feel like it's an enticing concept. So that's why right after I graduated from my master's degree in Cambridge, I didn't like get uh, my training contract like for the first round of application. I just really wanted to have an opportunity to really post my CV and also achieve this kind of like a lifelong goal of like having a more international career. So I just kind of uh, find the resources online, research for the right materials to use, ask my friends who did it before, so that I just self-studied for three months. I remember during that period, I literally, it was like last year, uh, yeah, probably last year, like around May to July, I literally went to the British library, like almost like every other day to study there because I really know I need to dedicate all my efforts to study that. It was a really short period of time, like three months, but I need to commit like, just like a full-time job, you know, in order to actually do well for the bar exam and then flew to New York to, talk the ex- to take the examination. And it was an amazing experience as well because I, I had never been to New York before, like uh, before the, you know, the examination. And it was a wonderful city. I really loved it, to be honest. I still, I'm still missing New York even today. <laughs> Great stuff. And I think there's just real admiration there because the dedication and what it took for you to do that um, is truly fantastic. So well done. And tell us more then about some of Thank your you. legal experience and route to securing your training contract with Baker McKenzie. You did some paralegal work with A&O and others before that. So just tell us a bit more about those experiences. Yeah, sure. I would say actually back to my undergraduate study, I did quite a lot of different kinds of legal work experiences, uh, ranging from just internship at high street law firms specializing in criminal or family law, uh, to even barrister chambers where I worked as many people. Even those experiences, I would say, helped me a lot to actually justify my interest in working for Baker McKenzie or even international law firms in London, because I actually had the experience of working in different sectors. It showcased that I didn't just choose to become a commercial solicitor out of blue. I actually have the track record of experiences. I tried a bunch of different things. That would help me tell an even more convincing story when it comes to putting them into writing in the application form. 
And afterwards, especially when I did my master's degree in the UK, I knew that my main witness at the time was that I didn't have that many work experience in this country, which is a problem because law firms would love to have people who actually understand the legal system or how the things are working in this particular uh, jurisdiction. So I tried my best to attend almost, I would say, 10 open days at different law firms first to actually understand different law firms like uh, practice their restraints and the kind of people they take in general and also their strategies, etc., which helped me a lot to really get into the UK legal market. Other than that, I actually, at first, I found some document review roles. I think that was probably one of the first few roles that fresh graduates could potentially secure after their graduation. Because uh, firstly, those roles doesn't really need extensive or substantial work experiences. So it's perfect. And actually, even money-wise, I would say they pay you a decent amount, not the not very best amount of salary, but still, I think it helps a lot as a fresh graduate. And it also helps you gain experiences in different kinds of projects, ranging from litigation to transactional work. So I do think that those experiences kind of help me and yeah, really let me understand the UK market and also showcase to the firms that I make the efforts to actually understand the legal system. And that's great. And thanks for kind of being quite open and what it kind of takes and actually highlighting some of those other experiences you had and how that's really benefited you. And that all sounds fantastic. But as we know, getting into the legal sector is tough and there is a lot of rejection along the way. So how did you handle any rejections that you may have had um, along your journey thus far? Uh, yeah, that's actually a, a good question, to be honest, because I, I bet like even nowadays when you look at those LinkedIn profiles or like those future trainees or listeners, they probably go through a lot of rejections. I remember uh, back in Cambridge, like it was considered as one of the most prestigious universities across the world. And I remember there were a few of my classmates, they even told me that like after they secured a training contract uh, during their time at Cambridge, they told me they probably tried three or four years. They start applying since they were in the first year of law school. So I can imagine like even people who are considered really smart or intelligent at a university like Cambridge, they experience way more rejections than you can anticipate. And I do think that they are amazing people. They could probably be really good lawyers, but it's just kind of inevitable that everyone, even no matter how smart you are, I think it's just inevitable for you to experience that rejection. And I think you need to realize that it's never personal and it's more like a thing that you need to, an experience that you need to accumulate through hard work and repetition. I think that's pretty much true for any kind of skills or things that you want to learn and or what kind of skills you want to acquire in life in general. So rejection or application is also kind of a skill that you can actually acquire through practices. So I think once I have this mindset, I understand that why I get rejected is probably because of my unsimilarity and also my experience in this field. So what can I do next? I was thinking the only like productive step for me at that moment was to actually reach out to people to learn about the process to be even more proactive than I was. Because there's no, I always think that like hard work or like repetition or like diligence, there's no limit to it. I, I do think that in terms of how hard you can work on something, there's no something that you work really hard like to your limit. Because I always think that you can really push your limit to a level you think that you can handle. So I, I do think that that mindset really kind of helps me a lot. And I really need some more motivational like movies or like TV shows or even the tech talks in order to keep me motivated during that period of time. And especially I was kind of in the UK and I didn't have that many friends at that moment when I first moved to London. 
after my time in Cambridge. So it was pretty tough time in many senses. And I do think that keeping me myself motivated by, you know, uh, hearing other story or even like uh, watching those kind of like motivational videos would kind of help me. Yeah, and I, I love that. And that just reminds me of what one of my mentors used to say to me as well, is you can never be too prepared. I think you should always try and go above and beyond. And that mirrors what you're saying there in terms of sort of what you, you did and what steps you took. I think in terms of, you know, the new world, we are still, you know, in lockdown at the moment. You know, hopefully that will, will lift in due course. But what advice would you give to people to try and master video interviews? Because I know you give a lot of advice um, generally, but is there any tips you would give to people who maybe go looking at more video-based um, interviews or that becoming more commonplace? Yeah, sure. And um, I think video interviews are really tough, especially the ones that are kind of recorded video interviews. Because most law firms, when they hire vacation schemers or applicants, they tend to use the recorded video interview. Basically, it's like just sit in front of your computer and answer some recorded question. And you basically have a time limit of like a minute to answer it or a minute or and a half. And I think it was pretty daunting at first. I remember the first few times I did my video interview, I also was really bad at it. And later on, I realized some techniques that you can use. First of all, I do think that a structure and the way the delivery is way more important than the content in that particular contest. Because you can imagine for video interview, you may have the time limit or it's going to be conducted in a very short period of time. So they're not going to test you or like ask you to write an essay or have an analytical, fully analyzed point of view on a specific matters. What they want to know is whether you can deliver something in a timely and even concise manner within a short period of time. You're not panicking or, you know, so I think that's the, really the key they're looking for. So whatever you want to speak, I think it's always good to use signposts, like summarize the thing you want to say at the beginning and then use signposts like, I want to join this firm for three reasons. Firstly, secondly, thirdly, I think all those things kind of help you to, you know, deliver a message that you are actually really calm and you can deliver answer in a very uh, presentable and concise way. I think that really helps. And also, I do think that preparation is important. There are several kinds of uh, interview questions you can expect, like competency-based questions, scenario-based questions. You can definitely find lots of sample questions online, even before the actual video interviews and prepare some answers to that in advance. And I think that's also an crucial step because some of the questions are deemed to be repetitive because, you know, most law firms, you kind of can expect what kind of question may potentially come up. So I think preparation is also inevitable and really important. Yeah, no, and that's really sage advice. So thanks for, for sharing that. And you do so much for others in the legal sector. So I just want to get behind your, your, your why for that. So when and why did you decide to want to give back to the, the legal community? We'll obviously talk about what you're up to now and have gone up to, but what was the reason you wanted to do that? question in terms of you know because asking for motivation because i always think that there are just so many reasons for doing something actually good to other people in general because i would say people always think that oh like gordon you post these videos or you you may write a prose that inspires others or yeah you just produce content that are helpful to others i think people always like focus on how others may benefit from my ass so that i'm kind or anything but i would say that Honestly, like even though for those who are actually helping people, I'm sure they themselves actually benefit from like that act as well. For me, for example, there are like people reaching out to me asking questions or sharing their journey with me. In fact, I would say 
sometimes I actually learn things from them as well, based on their journey or their experience. I actually acquire some maybe some kind of personality that really like inspire me or like it really motivate me to also do something good in terms of my career as well. So people always ignore that part of how the one who gives also kind of receives in this intangible way as well. So I do think that that aspect is what I really enjoy doing. Not only because I experience the same hardship or setback that most of the aspiring lawyers are experiencing right now, especially those coming from a more international background. Also, the fact that continuously, I think I actually learn more from the younger generation, even though I'm not like very old right now. But I, I do think that like even though those like 18 years old, 19 years old who have been working hard on their personal brand already on like Instagram and other social media platforms, I should learn a lot about their passion from their passion. And also, I just feel like it's always good for even people who are considered more experienced to actually learn from the younger generation. And I do think that this is important. Yeah, just it's not really even an age thing. It's, I think it's just good to actually realize the concept that you're also learning something when you're helping people. And you know what? I, I always teach people about the value of 360 uh, mentoring because you're absolutely right. You know, Pete, I, I, I learned so much from people beneath me, younger than me, with new ideas. You know, the next generation is always far smarter, innovative than the current generation. So it's great that you're kind of relaying that as well, because I think we can all learn. Yes, of course, you can learn from people with more experience than you, but you can equally learn from lots of other people around you. So 360 mentoring and coaching is really, really important. You remind me of one point that I actually want to mention here is that the fact that I even started posting on LinkedIn was that I had this roommate who was 20 years old. He didn't go to college or whatever. He was an entrepreneur. One day he just kind of told me, Hey, Gordon, I think you have good experience. Why don't you start posting on LinkedIn, sharing on all your experience? So basically, I started doing that just because of my roommate who told me that and he wasn't even from law school or anything. So I just want to kind of emphasize the point. And that's why I say like learning from others is important no matter how young he or she is even. Absolutely. And we're going to definitely come on to talk more about LinkedIn. But I just want to talk firstly... Tell us more about your your sort of YouTube works and series, because um, yeah, what were they all about? I know you did a number of series on YouTube. Tell tell some people who may be less familiar about that some of those works. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, honestly, for YouTube videos, for me, uh, <laughs> to be very honest, actually, like when I applied for training contract, I actually first came across Chrissy's videos on YouTube first. Uh, you probably know Chrissy from yeah, like like from the social media as well. And I think it was really interesting to see like people from the legal professional to put out more long form content on YouTube, which is a very popular platform for the young people, especially. So I just realized there are not too many like YouTube channels dedicating to a legal topic. So I think it's good for someone or like for me to actually start a more like legally related uh, YouTube channel as well. So that's why I started doing more videos. And because for my LinkedIn, it's more like for short form content and it was gonna disappear from time, you know, like after a few months or something. But for YouTube video, it's like more long form content that can really deeply discuss a specific legal topic in depth so that it can benefit like lawyers or like aspiring lawyers who wanna like watch some uh, longer videos to learn about the process. So I think that is more like the long form content I produce in order to help people in a more uh, useful way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's great that you mentioned Chrissy Wolf there from Law and Broader. She's been on the show before. And I think it's great that you got sort of inspiration from her and what you produced. I would encourage people to definitely check out your, your YouTube series because some really cracking content on there, not only for aspiring, but also current lawyers as well. And, and that, again, 
kind of leads us on to how our relationship, Gordon, has, has kind of developed over time, because I've, I've recently had the immense honor of working with you as an international advisor to your, your wonderful Global Lawyers Connect. So for, for those of you new or perhaps people new to Global Lawyers Connect, what is it and why did you decide to set that up? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, it was really a great pl- pleasure working, working with you on that particular project because it's really something I wanted to do in terms of uh, making legal profession more accessible at a more international level. Because it's not uncommon for us, for example, to learn about training contract application. Like in the UK, if we actually live and raised, you know, we are living, uh, we live here and then we're raised in the UK. But it's very difficult for foreigners, even though like for people who uh, like UK aspiring lawyers to work in all the countries, maybe New York or the US. So this idea basically stems from my personal experience as uh, a Hong Konger trying to work in the UK. And I just realized there's so many people from other parts of the world wanting to work in the UK. And at the same time, so many people from the UK, they may want to work in Europe, Asia, and even the US. But there's never a specific platform talking about how you can do it or actually sharing those experience of those lawyers who actually made it uh, in the legal profession and doing that. I actually remember when the time I want to take the New York bar exam, I searched so many profiles on LinkedIn and I find out that so many people have really great journeys in terms of how they just move from one country to another country. But I could, I never could find any resources on that uh, unless I actually search on LinkedIn. And those people also wouldn't like suddenly talk about their experience as well. It's just how it works in the legal profession. So I think the Global Lawyers Connect is more like a platform. I want to make all those resources accessible in terms of how to break into different kinds of legal jurisdictions and how to build a career in a different country. And also it helps to connect people from one place with people from another place. I think it's just a meaningful thing to do. And in the long run, I really hope that I could actually collaborate with more law firms to organize specific events or open days for international people or foreign talent. You can see law firms nowadays could have many like events for uh, being candidates, for like ethnic minorities, for a first year student, for a postgraduate student. But there's no, like literally no law firm uh, hosting and defense for international students trying to break into the legal market while there are thousands, more than thousands uh, of international students coming to the UK to study every year. So I just feel like this is a gap. And I think Global Lawyers Connect is really hoping to kind of bridge that gap. Yeah, no, and it's fantastic what you are doing and all of the team at Global Lawyers Connect. And, you know, it's still quite a new initiative and you've already got, you know, tens of thousands of kind of followers and people onto you and supporting you. So I do continue to wish you tons and tons of success with Global Lawyers Connect. And I think you're yeah, right. Thank law, you. Law firms will in time definitely come around to to collaborating and I'm excited for the for the future. And and so we then must move on to, to all things LinkedIn because you very much are, you know, thanks to your roommate, you know, a LinkedIn influencer <laughs> legal, in the legal space. So if future or current legal professionals are perhaps quite new to LinkedIn or not currently using the platform or not active, why would you say they need to be active um, and what are the benefits of doing so? I didn't even know that it could have such a huge impact in general when I first started posting on LinkedIn, to be very honest, because it was usually perceived as, as a platform that's used to kind of find a job or connect with recruiters, that kind of thing. But it's interesting to see after some kinds of research, I found out that LinkedIn is like among all other social media platforms like Instagram, 
or like Facebook, you could actually spread your message to the wider audience on this platform, LinkedIn. If, for example, even though you make a post or you make a like a, a kind of giveaway, you can reach over like hundred thousands of people from all around the world. Like just a day, like for example, by just making a post, even it's just amazing to see how much impact you could make if you do it in a consistent basis, and how many connections you can make if you're someone maybe like me, a first generation lawyer. And also, it's very efficient to do that as well because you don't even need to go out of your home. You literally can be like socializing like with so many kind of people by just sitting at home in front of your computer. I think this is also the blessing of technology as well, and I think that's why it's a good thing to do. And especially if you're a first-year law student or second-year law student or like a uh, fresher, I think it's good for you to start LinkedIn. Maybe not like sharing like too many like uh, advice or experiences because like you probably don't have that many experiences yet. But I think it's good for you to even use it as a platform to connect with other law students. Maybe to share tips on application to review each other's CVs to get that support network that you may not have had because like in the law legal sector. I think people are usually more competitive, so it's difficult to find a group of people, maybe with uh, like like-minded persons, to actually help out each other as well. So I think LinkedIn is a good place to start with, and also about personal branding is very important as well. Nowadays, I would say like like people like maybe they start reaching out to me for advice. Sometimes I was actually surprised by some qualified lawyer even reaching out to me for some opinions on things. They may be from other countries, or they may be not familiar with the UK legal system. I just feel like I kind of feel some kinds of—I I don't want to say authority—but like they think that I may have some uh, good opinions on a specific legal matter or specific market, so that they trust me and they respect me, so that they may ask me those questions, even though I'm obviously not a like experienced lawyer or anything. But I think it's also the uh, magic of LinkedIn as well, because as soon as you Keep helping others, or like giving like really great content to actually benefit other people. Other people will perceive you as something who is very resourceful and like really helpful. I think that's what about in the legal sector as well. Because as a lawyer, you're helping out clients. You are building that connection with people even outside of the legal field. I think that ability to connect with other people or to actually provide value to other people. Will make you become a more,、uh, you know, authoritative figures in your particular field. It also helps you further enhance your expertise in a particular legal area. So I just feel like LinkedIn is a good place for you to build your long-term brand. And even though in the future you want to do something different, maybe you're not even going to be a lawyer or anything, you still have that audience who believe in you or believe in what you're doing because of your brand or because of your authority to actually.、Uh, Uh, your leadership in doing that, so I just feel like long-term benefit is often ignored by people, or they may think people on LinkedIn keep posting.、Uh, it is kind of a waste of time or anything, but it's actually part of you know the strategy or like the ways for you to build your long-term audience or build your long-term brand. And that's definitely the way to to look at it. And you put it so well there, because you know personal branding. You know, lawyers, partners, even future legal professionals need to be producing content. I strongly believe that. And it's to add value to the marketplace, and like you say, then you can be seen as a thought leader. You're building your tribe, you're building your community, whilst trying to help and add value to others. So, would you go as far as to say you think all lawyers and people probably entering the legal professional should be producing content? Well, I don't necessarily think so, because to be very honest, I think because it really depends on what you want in your career life. Because some people they may be really happy in content with just. 
having a nine to five job or like having fun with friends in general. And this is definitely fine to be honest, because every person has just different agendas or different personal goals in their life. Because I would say many people have different meanings in their life in terms of they may want to impact other people in their career path or like do something volunteering work for a particular organization whatsoever. So I feel like it's more like whether you want to do it or whether you are happy with doing that. Because let's say if you're not interested in doing something like that anyway, you couldn't keep it up anyway. So you wouldn't actually make anything good out of it anyway because you're not enjoying to do it. If you don't enjoy something, it's really hard for you to actually work hard on it and actually make something great out of it. So I just feel like you need to kind of follow your heart and feel like whether this is something you really want to dedicate to doing. So I think that's the key question for those. I, I would rather say it's better for you not to just follow suit and blindly doing this kind of thing just for the sake of doing it. And, you know, I think it just doesn't make sense. And it also doesn't make you happy as well. So I do think that it really depends on your personal preference. Yeah, no, and that's really good advice. So um, I think a lot of people will kind of go away and reflect on that and think, you know, what they want to do. So kind of bring it back to you then. Obviously, you're at the start of your legal career. Do you have an area of law you wish to qualify into eventually? Well, right now, I think it would be still a bit early for me to make a decision on that, given that I haven't really worked in that particular area, like the four seats I'm going to work in. But I would say in general, I'm definitely interested in like M&A, for example. I basically, I'm interested in areas that have a really multi-jurisdictional elements. I guess that's also why I wanted to work in an international law firm in the first place as well. Probably like project finance, M&A, even arbitration. They're really international and really leading fields in London specifically. So I would love to explore those areas. Yeah. And just kind of keeping on the theme of international then, I mentioned at the start in the introduction, you've done a lot of writing too. Um, so tell us again about some of the published uh, book chapters and articles you've written for law journals in Europe and Asia. Yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, it was actually quite an interesting thing because I remember when I was in my undergraduate law degree, I was really interested in contract law. That's why I wrote my dissertation on the frustration of the contract. I kind of make a more international approach comparing that contract law in Germany and also that in England and Wales and Hong Kong. I think that's probably also why I, I already kind of knew that I was interested in international perspective of law in general. And I published that in the European Review of Private Law. And I definitely say that that publication actually kind of helped me get into Cambridge as well to some extent because it showcased my interest in corporate and commercial law. And I was doing my corporate law master's degree at Cambridge. So I think that definitely kind of helped me with my career in this tangible way as well, like in terms of publication. And also I published two book chapters. They are particularly in international space law, which is an area that probably not too many people are interested in. But I find it very interesting, uh, not only because, you know, I, in general, I'm just interested in international affairs. And also the outer space that I always think is the really emerging area. Uh, like there are many... Uh, abundance of resources out there so that the commercialization of the other space requires lots of legal constraints or regulations to regulate it. So I just feel like it's a growing area that it will be in fact equitable in the coming next 10 years or something with SpaceX, Elon Musk, and also all those legal market players investing in this space sector. So I just wrote articles and I'm just personally interested in this area of law, which by coincidence also intrigued the 
interest of the partners at my final interview with my current law firm, Baker McKenzie, as well. So I think it was kind of like an incidental benefit sometimes when you have a passion on a very special area that not too many people know about and they find you a little more interesting candidate rather than just other normal candidate interested in you know commercial law in general. So I think that also kind of helps when you have a, an interesting hobby or interesting passion. Yeah, no, that's really, really interesting. Actually, I found that interesting. So thanks for uh, for sharing that. It wasn't something <laughs> I, knew, I knew too much about, if I'm being completely honest. So, you know, to sort of draw to a close, tell us a bit more about your pro bono work with Baker McKenzie, as I believe you were working on the Legal Atlas uh, for the street youth. So tell us more about that and what it aims to achieve. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm actually surprised that you know about it. <laughs> You really did the research. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, we don't cut definitely... corners on the legally speaking podcast. You know that, Gordon. We can't let you down. We have to get every piece of information. Uh, to be very honest, like at first, I needed that uh, pro bono experience. Firstly, I'm just to be completely honest. I also needed to satisf- satisfy the pro bono requirement for my New York admission because usually in Asia, we rarely have the opportunity to do pro bono work, even though I wanted to. So I never have this opportunity. They didn't really have a legal clinic at that time, so I couldn't really do that any. So I remember I also need to qualify in New York with pro bono, 50 hours of pro bono work at least. And I actually approached my firm for that opportunity. And I was fortunate enough that they actually referred me to the pro bono associate at my firm. And I worked for him for three to four months at least. It's actually way more over 50 hours anyway. But I was actually really enjoyed doing that as well. Because it's pro bono work, sometimes it's like you're actually doing something that really benefiting the community at large. Basically, it's a program that I need to kind of research on the different areas of law, governing maybe street children, um, about their rights or the kind of uh, treatment they have uh, when it comes to criminal scenarios. So that I need to conduct legal research on this kind of different jurisdictions and countries, especially those countries we are like underdeveloped, not like big cities, London, maybe some countries in uh, Africa, like some more like less developed countries there. So I think it was Amazing also to see like there are actually lots of countries that don't have that many legal rights guaranteed for those children, especially because the legal system is not that well developed, I would say, to cover their rights. So that really need intervention from international organizations or global law firms in order to work on projects to help them bargain for reform for the legal system, say, or to have more well-structured mechanism to actually help them navigate their rights or advise them of their legal rights at an international level. So I think that project, basically, it was a really meaningful way for me to actually come across a more human rights related subjects. And I think it's a really good area for you guys to explore as well, because as a training solicitor, I think it's also important for you to get involved in some pro bono work. Not only the fact that you can actually do something even more like meaningful at a more global scale, but also the fact that you may have that more like a personal interaction with the clients or you can in more in charge of the whole project rather than a normal transaction, whether you may be under the supervision of other attorneys. I think that's also a good experience for you to grow as a lawyer, not only about helping people, but also about your personal growth as well. So it's just really great to yeah, have that experience. Yeah, and thank you so much for sharing that because it sounds like a wonderful thing that you did. So I think, Gordon, you know, from our side, it's very clear and everyone who follows you, you're a very busy person. But what do you try to do for some for some downtime, or what are some of your personal hobbies and, and interests? Uh, yeah, sure. Actually, to be very honest, like if it wasn't because of the like current situation, uh, I love going to hike, uh, go to hiking, for example. I love the nature, actually, to be honest. 
I remember like before the lockdown, I went to like Norway for hiking. I, even back in Hong Kong, I also went hiking with my friends. Sports is an important part of my life as well. And I love going to the gym. Actually, right now in lockdown, I could only do that at home with my dumbbells. I think exercise is something I really care about. And also about eating a healthy diet, that kind of thing is also something I try to like keep it up as well. And other than that, uh, definitely Netflix is something that everyone, you know, doing in general. And other than that, I think just hanging out with friends. I actually love hanging out with friends who are from a different background, honestly. But I love hanging out with friends who are from Asia as well. But just friends from different backgrounds, I can always introduce something new to the to them, like in terms of my culture, and they also introduce something new to me in terms of their culture as well. I just love that interaction with you from a completely different background. I remember even a few days ago when I took this Uber to uh, you know somewhere in Central, I literally talked to that Uber driver for like 30 minutes nonstop about Asian cultures and about because he is also kind of interested in that. And I just keep explaining, and we just it's just amazing to actually meet people or just hang out with people who are from a different background. I think that's probably my interest. Yeah, and I think that's just amazing, Gordon. So I think from our side, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on uh, the Legally Speaking podcast. Um, I'd like to wish you and all involved with Global Lawyers Connect very, very best of luck. If people want to get in touch, they can obviously find you on LinkedIn, all of the social medias, Instagrams, etc. Should definitely encourage everyone to follow Global Lawyers Connect as well. But from all of us, Gordon, thanks a million. Um, I'm wishing you lots of continued success um, for the future and your future legal career ahead. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much, Rob. I'm, I was really excited to be here, to be honest. I'm, I'm really glad that I joined this podcast and actually have a platform to share my experience with your audience. So I also wish you all the best with Legally Speaking Podcast. And I'm sure we, there will be a lot more collaboration between us in the future as well. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Watch this space, listeners. Over and out.